Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, we're going to be discussing Game 4, Suns Bucks. We're going to be discussing the Dame Lillard pending trade request. And then, uh, depending on whether or not we have time, we're gonna, we have a hard stop today at 9.05. But depending on whether or not we have time, we might do the... Uh, um, uh, we might do the uh, uh, Montrez comments and just kind of the general attitude surrounding a lot of the uh, the Lakers free agents. Um, depend, like I said, if we have time at the end, uh, Raj, how you doing on this Friday morning, man? Doing great, man. Another beautiful morning. I'm excited to see Space Jam two tonight. Although I feel like half the people saw it already, but uh, I don't remember <laughs> anything about the first one to be honest. I just remember Jordan kind of um, his long hand trying to dunk. Um, what do you think? Do you think I have to see the first one again to enjoy the second one? What do you think? Not at all. And, and you know what? I'm so like so. Uh, movie critics in general suck because I swear they don't watch movies the way normal people watch movies. When I when I go to look at Rotten Tomatoes now, I look at what the fans think or like the public in their yeah. percentage because that's that's guys like you and me. That's the way we watch movies. Whereas critics are so you know they're so used to you know liking the smell of their own farts that they they can't <laughs> they can't just enjoy a movie. Um, uh, but anyway. This is literally a Looney Tunes movie. It is a children's movie, and you've got grown men talking about LeBron's acting and stuff like that. It's just, it's just not a topic I'm interested in. Oh, no, for sure. They're calling it a lot of propaganda already. I'm like, man, just enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the movie. Enjoy the movie. It's supposed to be fun. That's what it's for. It's supposed to be fun. Oh, man. Um, all right. Well, uh, so uh, as Raj and I were discussing before we started the show, I, I started with a $50 bet on game one. And I, I turned that 200 and then I turned it into 200 and then I turned it into 400 because I hit every single game. Well, I rolled all of it into the Suns money line and almost got rich. But no, I did not get rich. So uh, the, the Milwaukee Bucks won. And you know what, dude? This is this is the first thing I'm going to say. As the game was unfolding, even as Phoenix had the lead, I just I knew Milwaukee was going to come back. And, you know. In pickup games, it's about shot results, you know, because they're short, mm-hmm. right? So a couple guys get hot, make a couple threes, you lose. But in a 48-minute basketball game, it's more about shot quality. Are you getting better shots than the other team? Because regardless of what the scoreboard says, usually over 48 minutes, the team that gets better shots is going to win because they'll eventually start going in. And even though Phoenix had leads in that game, it was Devin Booker making incredibly tough shots. It had nothing to do with the shot quality. And then guess what? At down the stretch of the game, Chris Middleton was getting really nice, easy, in rhythm, pull up 15 footers. And the Suns were clawing tooth and nail to get crazy difficult shots and they weren't going in. And so I wasn't surprised at all that the game ended the way it did. Um, do, do, was that kind of the way that you interpreted that as well? Uh, well, like when Phoenix went up nine, I thought they kind of had it. I think Cameron Payne hit like a huge three. He got an and one on a drive. Um, I, I really thought they were going to take it. Chris Paul was struggling all night. He wasn't even shooting because of the way that Milwaukee was defending. But once Devin Booker went out, I think he got his like fifth foul or something like that. He went out of the game. I thought Chris Paul would kind of take over, get to his spots. He just missed like shots that he should be able to take, should be able to make. He wasn't um, taking advantage. And DeAndre Ayton, man, like. He has to be better, in my opinion. Like, that was the game to me. Uh, nine shots, three for nine, no free throws, um, played 40 minutes. And Milwaukee went small pretty much the whole night. Um, and then, again, Giannis, 26 and 14, even on a bad night. Middleton, I, I don't know. I feel like those shots are the shots Middleton gets anyway. Um, he hits some. He doesn't hit them. Is he going to hit them on the road? I'm not sure. But, again, 40 points. 
him and Devin Booker had like a nice back and forth. I thought that was really fun. Um, they had like a mid range kind of battle. I thought I thought Phoenix was going to take it, man. I thought um, I really thought they did. Milton hit tough shots, like driving left, raising fadeaways. So I thought he was going to take it. I really did. But uh, the series is tied now, man. The series is tied. That's interesting that we had a different feel on that because it, the the Milwaukee comeback just kind of felt inevitable to me. Um, but that's that, that's that's part of the fun of of, of watching basketball is two people can watch it and kind of yeah. see a different thing. You know, Giannis had one of the most dominant defensive performances I've ever seen. And you know what it reminded Man. me of was the All Star game two years ago um, when he had that block on LeBron's one legged fadeaway. Oh yeah, and yeah, then yeah. blocked him at the rim on a play where LeBron had him completely beat to the basket. Giannis has this ability when he really turns it on defensively where he's frightening and there's really nothing anybody can do. I mean, the one-legged fadeaway is one of the most indefensible shots in all of basketball and a 6-9 guy tried one on uh, on Giannis in that All-Star game and got blocked. Like he he just is he's he's transcendently good defensively. And you know it was interesting cuz he was such a non-factor offensively at the end of that game. It was all Middleton. Mm-hmm. Drew Holiday and Giannis had nothing going and Aiton got called for a couple of of kind of janky fouls early in the game, but uh, the one thing he did well in that game in in a game that he was generally bad, he defended Giannis well down the stretch oh, yeah. and forced him into some tough shots. Uh but I I have to I have to say like and I mean the people have talked about the block to death that was just that what an incredible performance to 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 have nothing going offensively and to still have such a massive impact on the game defensively because literally they can't run a play within 15 feet of you without you erasing it it's unbelievable and i thought devin booker made the right play there like that's the correct play to do you come off that little screen action and then uh Giannis is helping on devin booker and then he sees that Giannis comes over to help and he throws that lob i thought pretty perfectly Giannis just gets it at like the apex of it um that was an amazing play he was awesome all night what do you think i thought the Giannis kind of at the five switching everything is really like i don't think it's a coincidence that chris paul is starting to play worse and worse as the bucks continue to play more small and small um like his i think his scoring in milwaukee is way down from when he was in phoenix um, they're really switching everything. Devin Booker's hitting tough shots. Um, wh- where do you think Chris Paul can kind of get better shots here? Because I feel like he's kind of lost. Like, this is a guy who's a generational point guard, and he looks absolutely unsure what to do, where to go with this. Um, to me, it's Aiden has to be better to kind of open things up for Chris Paul. What do you see, like, for him, I guess, to get better shots in this series? So, for, first of all, Drew Holiday deserves credit because, you know, oh, yeah. I, I, I told you before, like early in the series that I didn't really see him as capable of having much of an offensive impact. He just got yeah. uncharacteristically hot from three in game three. Other than that, he can't really generate quality shots. And he actually won them that game with their with his defense. And honestly, man, like if there's one criticism to throw at Drew, it's just that he needs to shoot less because if he can take Chris Paul out of the game, and, and have a smaller offensive role, he's actually going to uh, uh, have a better impact on, on, on Milwaukee's ability to win the game. So with Chris Paul, here's the thing. This is something I've talked about with you many times in the past. Like This is something I get made fun of for a lot of times because I've, I've brought it up in the past, but physical tools matter when you get into these super physical games. When things get outrageously physical and the refs are swallowing their whistles, you it helps to be Chris Middleton, six foot eight. And able to shoot over the top. Like this is yeah. not 
it's it, uh, so I tweeted uh, yesterday that I thought that officiating was going to play a big part in this series moving forward because Milwaukee is the bigger, stronger team, at, at least yeah. on the perimeter. Ayton is huge. Ayton's a beast. But outside of DeAndre Ayton, the, the like there was a moment in that fourth quarter where I'm looking at the lineup and I'm like, I'm like, that's campaign. Uh, this I think Chris Paul was out at this point, or, or but, but it was like Chris Paul, campaign, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson, and I'm like, that's a thin uh, perimeter yeah. core. That's a thin group of guys. And meanwhile, Drew Holiday's built like a truck. So is Giannis, and and they're they're just they're just a big a big physical perimeter lineup. And so I it, like if the refs are going to let them be really physical at the point of attack with Chris, he's just not going to get quality shots. You know, like he, the, the, it, Drew Holiday has this uncanny ability to fight over those pick and rolls. Like, the, like he just sidles up above the screen and just bumps Chris a little bit further out and just gets over the top of it. So pick and rolls not freeing up Chris. Even when he gets a little bit of separation on the pick and roll, Giannis is right on, or not Giannis, Drew is right on his back. And then Giannis is just a freak in drop coverage because he can guard the ball and turn around and block shots at the rim. Like it's, it's unbelievable. I don't, if the refs continue to let Drew be that physical at the point of attack, there's nothing Chris Paul can do because he's just not athletic enough or big enough to get separation. But if he starts getting some calls, which at home he very well might, then that might be enough to get Chris Paul going. Yeah, and Drew's also picking up like full core. He's like having laying his body on him um, all night. We talked about it, I think, after game two. I forgot which game it was. Where like they were just letting um, Chris Paul get the switch way too easy, and now Drew's like fighting over it every single time. And you're right, they're letting them be more physical. Aiden is catching it like I think a, like a foot pass where he would like to in the paint, like where he's comfortable. He has that little jump hook. I thought he settled a few times, but he has to punish to me those like when they switch Drew Holiday on Aiden, PJ Tucker on Aiden. Like I think that's where he has to punish him with the offensive rebounds too. I just don't think you can allow um, the Bucks to play this small, right? Like play Giannis at the five without the consequences of playing Giannis at the five. And credit to Coach Bud, like he's really short in that rotation. Uh, but you're right, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, those are big dudes that Chris Paul's like really trying to attack in isolation. If it's not him, it's just Devin Booker. Uh, what an amazing night, by the way, too. For, uh, what, what he had, like 40, I think, as well. And they um, defended him well. Oh, he just man, made he absurd shots all night long. He did, yeah, yeah. He's coming off those screens just firing. Um, I thought he got a little tired at the end there, um, and I thought Chris Paul tried to take over um, a little late, a little too late, but Middleton kind of saved the day there. What What'd you think about that foul, letting letting that foul go? I, I feel like you have, a, you have an interesting take on that. Yeah, I, I, do, I, I don't care. So first of all, <laughs> first of all, like, we, we can't complain about mm-hmm. refs stealing the show. And then also complain when they swallow their whistle on purpose so that they don't steal the show. Like, yeah, who do you want to? What do you want to know? Do you want to know if the Suns and the Bucks, you know, who's going to win with all their players or with Devin Booker sitting on the bench with six fouls? You want to? You want the Bucks to beat the Suns with Devin Booker out there so that you can know who the actual better team is. And I, I, I shared this morning uh, uh, at four o'clock when I woke up. If you look at my Twitter feed, I shared the. The, uh, uh, the, the foul early in the game where Drew Holiday jumped up into him and elbowed him in the face. And like, don't get me wrong, I don't think it should have been an offensive foul, but it shouldn't have been anything. That should have been a no call. That, yeah. And, and I, I, I haven't gone back to look over the tape, but I remember there being a couple of, of kind of nitpicky fouls that, that uh, the rebounding foul on, on P.J. Tucker where he kind of chucked him out of bounds 
couple things. First of all, as the ref, show some discretion. The ball didn't go anywhere near them. It had no impact on the play. Shouldn't have been a call. Second of all, it's game four of the finals. It's been one of the most physical games I've ever seen. And P.J. Tucker's running in to go get the offensive rebound. Let them let, let them bump and chuck each other and, 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 and box each other out. It's a physical game. You, it, like, it just... It bothered me because, of course, it was a foul on Drew Holiday. And it was, of course, it was a dumb play from Devin Booker to do that when he knew knew he had five fouls. But independent of all of that, I'm okay with the fact that the guy with the whistle was like, I don't want to take Devin Booker out of game four of the NBA Finals when he's got 40 points. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, that that was an obvious judgment call. And I would hope that every ref in the NBA would have done the same thing. Especially since he saw saw the, the guy trailing. And the and, and had who had the offensive rebound put back. He might very well have been sitting there going like, if they get a stop here, I'm just going to do late whistle foul on Devin Booker. You know that kind of deal. Yeah, that's kind of how how I saw it too. I, I was fine with it. A lot of people, a lot of people would say like, I guess that is Devin Booker deciding the game by like doing that stupid play. But I like the discretion there. Like with contest, yes, if that was another player, that probably is a foul. But that's Devin Booker. Like, there's a reason why that that play uh, wasn't called. So so I'm fine with that um, not being a foul. I guess. Um, but but we'll see. Uh, he he had like two bad fouls to be honest. Going late there, um, he could have fouled out twice. But I'm glad they kind of let that go. Let the game kind of finish. You're right. Giannis was trailing the play anyway. Um, that's where like it's so weird. The game is so physical. But yeah, like those eight and fouls were co- really confusing to me. It felt like Giannis was just driving into his chest, and he got like two of those that he kind of passed out of. So it's it's funny. Do you do you think like that will switch when they go to Phoenix? Like they'll kind of Phoenix will get a little bit more physical. I, I'm kind of interested to see how they react to this because it feels like Milwaukee's figuring stuff out. Um, that's why I thought last night was so important. I feel like the longer the series goes, it's kind of edging toward Milwaukee here, who's like really figuring out what they're doing. Um, as soon as Bud kind of stops these Jeff Teague minutes, um, I feel like they can they can get even better. But uh, what do you think going into Phoenix for game game five? So I tweeted this out two days ago, I believe, uh, or no, it was yesterday, but like. I, I genuinely think officiating is going to be the biggest, uh, uh, one of the biggest swing factors moving forward. Because, like you said, if Giannis is going to lower his shoulder and try to run DeAndre Ayton over and get a, get a, get two free throws out of it, while at the while on the other end, Drew Holiday and Pat Connaughton and uh, PJ Tucker are allowed to have their hands on ball handlers, which, for the record, I don't think is. Uh, any sort of unfair type of uh, of uh, uh, angle from the refs. I think it's just home yeah. court home court refing. My guess is that Phoenix is going to get more calls in Game Five and in Game Seven because refs have a tendency to subconsciously play to the home crowd. That's it's. There's been studies done on that actually, and it's a yeah. subconscious thing. Now, as far as the long term wear and tear, Chris Paul had two days off before that game. It, he didn't. He didn't have trouble scoring on Drew Holiday because of the, uh, the uh, like like a progressive fatigue. That's not what it was. What it was is home court whistle letting Drew be more physical. Also, as something that you and I have talked about at length, any sort of repetitive action that uh, ad- advan- is an advantage to the defender. That to mm. me is one of the main reasons why players are. Uh, their efficiency tanks at the end of series and at the end of games because if I'm guarding you you might get me with moves early in the game that aren't going to get as much separation late in the game and the same thing goes as the series progresses at this point Drew Holiday knows all of Chris Paul's little ticks and little trends and little uh, tendencies at this point because he's 
been playing with him for 200 minutes, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think as the series progresses, it's going to be harder for Chris Paul to get clean looks unless he starts getting calls to where Drew Holiday has to give him more space and can't use his hands as much. That could be the thing that kind of that kind of swings it. But again, Phoenix is at home in game five. They're probably going to get a little bit more beneficial whistle. All they got to do is win that game. And then there you go back to Milwaukee where, you know, I, I think we can safely say that that Phoenix is, appears to be the slightly better team, just slightly, because they won handily at home, and then they lost a really close game in Game 4. You know, it's like cl- uh, clear Phoenix win, clear Phoenix win, clear Milwaukee win, rock fight where Milwaukee barely won. So they got home court advantage. A couple things go their way. I, I would give them... I would make them very slight favorites at this point, which is what Vegas has. I think they have the Bucks at mm-hmm. plus plus one twenty five or something like that. So a very slight underdog right now. Yeah, so I was listening to like the low. I agree with you. I still have Phoenix win this series, but they need better shot quality. Like I was listening to the low post. They said fifty six percent of their shots came from the mid range, and I think like fifteen or twenty percent came from three. It's like nothing at the rim. So Milwaukee has pretty much shrunk the floor to where everything is isolation and everything is a mid range kind of contested pull up. I don't think you're beating the Bucks that way. Like, I feel like that they have to get their ball. Remember, they were such like a beautiful ball movement team. The ball gets into eight and kicks out corner, 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 bridge, corner three for Bridges, corner three for Jay Crowder. All that's gone. Like all the three point, all that like beautiful wide open shots are all gone. Maybe that's part of it. Like, like you said, you kind of realize people's plays as the series goes on. Um, they run that double kind of drag screen a lot. And it feels like that's been kind of uh, schemed out. Like they understand exactly how they want to defend it. And again, it's like with Giannis at the five, all those guys are a lot more mobile. Chris Paul can't just pick on Brooke Lopez anymore, which I think both of us thought was clear from game one. So like, but now doing this in game three, game four, I thought that was pretty clear. But that's the main thing to me is like, where do, where does Phoenix get better shots? Cause there's no, Chris Paul can't, I mean, he's going to beat Pat Conton, Bobby, Bobby Portis a few times, but like that, those aren't good shots to me. And, and Brooke Lopez, I mean, sorry, uh, Devin Booker, those are tough shots as well. I'm just wondering, like, their shot selection has to be better. I trust Monty to kind of figure that out. Um, but to me, it's on Aiden getting, Aiden being a force inside. They have to get stuff at the rim. Um, they're like Chris Milton as well doesn't get to the basket, but that's kind of his game. Phoenix is built around this rim attack that can, like, get out to their shooters. I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering where they go here to get better shots with the way Milwaukee's defending. You have to draw that third defender in, right? That's the problem mm-hmm. is like you're, you know, Drew Holiday is so effective on on Chris Paul right now that they really don't have to bring any help. Right. And, and Chris Paul uh, has to call the screen every time to get any separation. So as long as they can play two on two in that pick and roll, as long as they can play two on two in that pick and roll, uh, the, uh, Milwaukee doesn't have to send those three other defenders too far into the paint. So Phoenix isn't getting any quality shots out of Chris Paul, and then Devin Booker, it's all isolation. So like even when, uh, uh, even when Devin Booker gets a good matchup, like you know, he got a couple of shots uh, or a couple of possessions against against Pat Connaughton, and it's like okay, this is the weak link, right? So you get you got. Drew and PJ and Giannis and, and Chris Middleton off the ball and Devin Booker's on an island with Pat Connaughton. Well, Devin Booker's not getting good enough shots on Pat Connaughton that they need to send help. Pat mm-hmm. Connaughton's doing a good job of making him shoot over the top. And if you're Milwaukee, you're not going to overreact to Devin Booker making those crazy tough turnarounds. If he beats you like that, he beats you like that. And guess what? Last or two nights ago wasn't enough. 
And, mm. and so that that's kind of the thing. It's like in order to br- like this is the this is the LeBron and AD factor that is so important when it gets into these types of playoff series. Come come hell or high water, they're going to draw other defenders because if mm-hmm. you let them on an island. It's not crazy fadeaways. It's physical dominance at the rim. Mm -hmm. It's like with Giannis. If you put Giannis on an island with these guys, he's probably going to score. So you have to send extra defenders, which is a cascading effect that leads to better shot quality. Like I said earlier, if your team's getting better shot quality, probably unless you have some crazy all-time Kobe-esque 48-point blow-up, the team that's getting the better shots is going to eventually get hot and pull away. And, and, and that's, and that's what happened with Milwaukee. So I don't know, like I, like Booker's not getting good enough shots to draw double teams right now. And Chris Paul literally can't get separation from drew holiday. So honest to God, I don't know what you do. I I don't know (laughs) what you do except for hope that the whistle gets a little tighter to where your guards are getting better shots because the defenders have to give more space and be less handsy. Yeah, and well, to me, all roads lead back to Aiton. Like, he's the guy. He's a seven-foot dude playing against a team that's going small. He has to be better. He had a bad night. Yeah, Brooke Lopez had 18 minutes, which means the rest of that is just all small, right? They have no other backup center that's really a sizable center. It's all Giannis, and they're pretty much switching. So Giannis is ending up on Chris Paul, ending up on Devin Booker, a bunch of possessions here. Aiden has to dominate. Like he can't. He he's not a great passer, but he has to make better reads too. Um, they're kind of digging in and coming out. Um, they're forcing Mikel Bridges to take dribble in mid range twos. Jay Crowder's taking contested threes. He got a few foul calls, which I thought weren't really fouls. When PJ Tucker kind of contested him at the three point line when he falls down, um, we're we're very familiar with that. But um, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> but I feel like Aiden kind of he's the key here. No free throws, three for nine. That just can't happen in 40 minutes for me. For him, he's too big, too physical, too skilled to like allow them to just push him off the block that easy. PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday are strong dudes, but still, you got to be able to get to your spot, jump hook, whatever. He was like diving down the lane, dunking in Phoenix, like game one and game two. He was getting like roaring dunks, like crowd kind of uplifting stuff. And right now, nothing at the basket. Everything's a mid range little jump hook, everything's stuff that they'll live with. So, all roads lead back to him to me. If Chris Paul can't get separation from Drew, Devin Booker taking these type of shots, it's it's Aiton who has to be the third best best that, player here. Th- that's really interesting, Raj, and and I think I agree with you because you know he 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 got physically dominated a little bit in that game, mm-hmm. which is unusual. He's been better uh, he's been better uh, in this postseason than he's ever been in his time in Phoenix, and he had a little moment where he got a block on Bobby Portis where he kind of got emotional and kind of screamed at the stanchion. Like you could tell it's in there that he knows that he needs to be better. He just needs to do it. There's, there was a clip uh, during the game of Monty Williams in the, in the huddle, basically telling that basically saying like, you're playing hard right now, but you're not playing hard enough. And, and, and because the truth was as Milwaukee was playing harder and more physical in that game. Then after the game, like God, I can't remember what the exact line was, but Monty said again in the post game locker room something to the effect of like, "What you want is there for the taking, but you're going to have to play harder than you've ever played in your life." Like, or I think he said the quote was, "What you want is on the other side of hard," meaning like yes. what you think you got to do. There's a whole other level to where you need to go. So it's clear that Monty is really hammering home with them the fact that hey, you're smaller. 
you're thinner, so you're going to have to make up for that with effort. Because if you match effort with them, they're going to physically dominate you because Milwaukee's bigger and stronger and so on and so forth. And that'll be the interesting thing moving forward. And, and to your point, Aiton is where that starts. Aiton mm-hmm. being more physically dominant will trickle down the rest of the roster and compensate for some of their thinness on the perimeter. Like, I I don't know, man. Like, like Mikhail Bridges wasn't very good in that game, and I didn't think mm-hmm. he did a very good job on Chris. And and honestly, man, some of the shots Chris missed in that game were really good looks. There were God, he had like two or three wide open fifteen footers at the start of the fourth quarter when Phoenix was up like nine. Where I was like, man, like if he keeps getting that shot, like it's gonna start going in. And 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 so everybody just has to be better in the same way that Drew Holiday is trending towards being more physically imposing on Chris. Those Phoenix wings have to trend towards being more physically imposing on 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 uh, Chris Middleton. And, and and have that kind of trend, uh, kind of swing back into their favor at the end of the series. Do you have any other thoughts on this series before we move on? Yeah, just a couple of doing quick things on Aiden. He had like 17 rebounds, but one was offensive. So to me, like that's like that number looks awesome. And again, 17 rebounds is 17 rebounds. It's just when you get one offensive rebound, it's kind of showing your force on the boards. To me, everything there's a defensive rebound. And Mikel Bridges, I thought Milwaukee found something. Um, they were just like they were starting Chris in the corner. Then he would come up off of two screens to a dribble handoff with Giannis. And that basically puts Aiton in this like no man's land where now he has to cover, you know, Giannis rolling and Middleton coming off this screen. And it also takes away what Mikhail Bridges is really good at, right? Mikhail Bridges is a super long, crazy wingspan. He's crazy skinny. So him going through two screens, he's already like behind the play. He's still on like the first screen and him and Aiden keep having this miscommunication. I feel like that's something Phoenix really has to clean up because they went to that down the stretch every single time. They stopped this just Giannis at the top trying to attack going through Aiden's chest. They went dribble handoff. Chris Milton, he got to his spots. Whether he makes them in Phoenix, I'm not sure, but those are great shots for him. Um, I wonder if they're stopped trapping and all that, but I thought that was really interesting to see uh, Milwaukee figure that out like to how to get him going credit to coach but I guess there for getting him going that uh, getting him going there um, that's kind of a pet play I saw them run that I think they really figured out so I'm interested to see how they defend that as well going forward um, how they if they just live with Chris Milton taking those jumpers um, because he's not getting to the rim still he got eight free throws but I think he can't like five, get to the rim <laughs> yeah but like it's but crazy. six of those I think were like at the end of the game or something mm-hmm. so still he's not getting to the rim um, he's not getting to the line he's not playmaking so it's all still on these jumpers that as you talked about since he's a jump shooting guy he has the it can he has a tendency to have up and down games so i'm interested to see if they yeah he was up and i'm interested Mm -hmm. to see if they adjust you you, that's really interesting raj and you know uh uh generally speaking it's kind of like a a common it's common knowledge in the basketball community that larger players that are taller and lankier have trouble fighting through screens that's like a, yeah. a, a players that are smaller with a, 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 a small center of gravity do much better like a, a pj tucker is going to be better chasing guys off of screens than a lebron because lebron's a little bit too upright and that's a, a common way that teams attack lebron is trying to get him to run through screens he's just too big it's it's too easy for him to get caught on it we talked earlier about drew holiday and his ability to run over screens um, when I played in college, most of the best uh, defenders that I knew that played off of screens that chased shooters around were short, stocky guys. They just they mm-hmm. they have this uncanny ability to kind of navigate those those crazy screens. And you're right, like Mikhail Bridges got caught way too much on those screens and gave Chris Middleton way too much space and let him get way too comfortable. That was a, a good call out on your part. 
Um, anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, interested to see cool. game five. All right, we got 14 minutes, so let's talk Dame. So uh, this this is all kind of new and fresh to me in terms of the the um, the the imminent nature of the trade request. Uh, everyone seemed to just assume it was going to happen. I was kind of more like Portland has they had got him under contract for three more years. Uh, they just hired a new coach. They'll probably make a trade on the periphery. I I didn't necessarily think it was going to happen, but at the end of the day, like Dame has built up so much good equity with that franchise as someone who has year in and year out given them his best and been such a great leader that if he actually asks for a trade, I believe that Portland would capitulate to his demand just out of good business, like a like a. You know what, Dame? If this is what you want, we'll do this for you. Kind of deal. Yeah. I, 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 and and so it seems like we're headed that way. Um, so, what was your initial initial uh, like kind of impression on what you saw today? Yeah, I kind of fight back and forth because we're in a new NBA where like stars kind of do pick their their team now, right? Like James Harden said, I want to go to the Nets, and he ended up there. Um, AD with the Lakers. Uh, you can go down the line a bunch of stars that kind of pick their team. Um, but also, Dame is under contract for four more years, so this season plus three more. That's a ton. That's a ton of leverage for the team. Um, and I feel like teams would throw a bunch of whatever assets or whatever uh, picks for Dame. So it's really interesting. Um, the, the teams that have kind of, uh, it hasn't been official, but it's like the Lakers, Warriors, and Knicks, which um, I feel like one of those two isn't like the other. But uh, it's, uh, but I, I have no idea. Like I, It's so weird. Dame has kind of built his brand kind of on this, like, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to build it myself. Um, so... It's just a switch. Maybe the the like uh, he got the backlash for the bill up stuff and all that stuff. So uh, and the team got kind of some backlash for that. Maybe that's a that's one of the reasons that he can kind of push out. I, I have no idea. But uh, him being with Team USA, I wonder if that helps a little bit. He's away from the situation. He can kind of request his trade, and uh, it, it feels a little different than being you know on the team having to deal with that. So so where where do you think? Where do you think this goes from here? Do you think like it eventually becomes like a full on trade request official? Yeah, I, I would assume we're, we're trending in that direction just based on the intel. Uh, I think it makes sense for Dame. You know, Dame, this is why it's always better to let other people do the talking for you when it comes to mm-hmm. this type of stuff. Like, uh, uh, as a star in the NBA, if it's better for you to plan your exit behind the scenes than to do what Dame did, which is basically outwardly say in trash talk to the Clippers – I'm Mr. Loyal, stay in one place. I I don't want to take the easy road, blah, 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 blah. You know, well, well, dude, had you let us say that on your behalf, then it would have been fine for you to leave. But now you've realized that your loyalty was, you know, kind of foolish in the sense that you were self-sabotaging because you were a top 10 NBA player who routinely was getting knocked out early in the playoffs because your team wasn't very good. And yeah. there's no shame in wanting to leave that. Uh, loyalty to franchises is stupid, in my opinion, because at this, at those fans are the first ones to turn on you when when things aren't going well. You know that's just the nature of of the way this stuff is. And so, to be honest, like you know, like we would have been on your side no matter what had you just kind of let it progress naturally. And, and unfortunately, now you're going to have. I wouldn't be surprised with how reckless Dame and CJ have talked about this in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick Beverly. Or or Lou Williams or one of those guys 
uh, uh, came out and, and, and tweeted something like, Oh, like you're taking the easy road, you know, something like that. But you know, uh, when it comes to the destination, there are, you you hear all these different teams that get thrown out and they have all these different cap, uh, uh, issues that would have to like for the Lakers, as we've talked frequently, like if they do a sign and trade, which is what they would have to do to get Dame, if they do a sign and trade, they get hard capped. And under the current hard cap situation, it would probably force them to lose a bunch of other free agents. They're, they would lose guys currently on the roster. So it really kind of it really kind of janks things up. So and then just in general, I think other teams have better trade packages. And I don't think Portland's going to sit there and go, "We'll take Talon Horton Tucker and Kyle Kuzma just because we want to do Dame a favor." You know what I mean? So I would look more to teams like the Knicks. Teams like Golden State, although I don't like the fit there, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to have Dame and Steph play together. But like, I would look to the teams that have assets, just because I think at the end of the day, Portland's gonna they'll say, "Hey, Dame, we're gonna help you, but we gotta get we gotta get a fair return." You know what I mean? You're a top seven, top eight player. Yeah, for sure. But to me, these these kind of things always become ugly anyway right these trade requests are never clean it's never like a oh we had our time together and uh it's over now and both teams you know uh sing bye to each other it never happens like that it's always ugly it's always an ugly breakup you got to ask questions on both sides what happened and you know i feel like that's how this goes but i'm like we're in the new league to me if dame says i want to go to the lakers like and only the lakers like that's kind of what happens here. Like I don't know. That's just a league. I feel like we're in. But he has no um, leverage because he has three years. That you usually leverage. Like I want to go to L.A. If you trade for me, I will go to L.A. as soon as my contract yeah. is done. Well, guess what? That doesn't matter when I've got you for three seasons. You know what I mean? That is fair. But I guess like my only counterpoint is Dame's on a super max. He's not on like a regular max contract. He's making the super max money, which I think is like. of your cap or whatever that is. So that pretty much like puts you down to like, you either are a title contender, right? Or like a team that's close. Like, I don't think a bad team can like, I don't think Oklahoma city can go and throw, you know, a bajillion draft picks at Dame because what does that do for them? They're not in position at all to win for Dame. The Knicks too. I don't understand the Knicks unless like he just wants to build on a bigger brand, which I think Dame is a pretty big superstar already in this league. But I mean, they're not ready for him, but you're going to sign and trade Julius Randle for Dame and you have Dame RJ Barrett. How is that better than Portland? Like I, that's, that's my, my question here is like, it's either why to be one of these really good teams that can get for him. And again, that list shortens. It's Philly. Does again, we talked about this last episode. Does Philly want Ben Simmons on a max contract? I don't know. Do they want uh, the Warriors package? Do they want Wiggins? Why isn't like that's where I think this will eventually get to because the list is so small for where like it doesn't make sense if Dame goes to a worse team like that. That doesn't happen in these situations. Players don't leave for a worse team. It just can't. That's a horrible look on a on a guy that that you just can't have. Stars don't want that. You stars want this even if they don't believe it. They want this like yeah. All I want to do is win. You know, like that has to be the motivation for leaving so i'm interested to see how this plays out yeah i agree with you and and you know it's interesting because like you got to think about think about it from all the angles right because if i'm portland and i'm giving up damian lillard i'm going into a rebuild so unless i'm extremely high on ben simmons 
I'm going to go for a package more along the lines of Wiseman or one of the high picks in this draft. And you're right. Like, why would Oklahoma City get involved if that's going to involve me getting Dame Lillard when I don't have the pieces around him to help him compete? And then there was that big report that came out in early July. Uh, Jason Maples tweeted uh, tweeted it out today. So if you want to go find it, you can find it in... uh, um, uh, in his feed, but there's some guy that claimed to have Intel that said that Dame wanted to go to New York and he wanted to bring Kawhi Leonard with him. And, and this is when we knew Kawhi was hurt and it's like, okay. Uh, and he, and this guy was, uh, was kind of ahead of the, the ahead of the Clippers news. And he knew that there was some unrest between the Clippers and Kawhi. But anyway, it's like, if I'm Dame, it's like, why would I want to go to the Knicks when if I if all we know about Kawhi tells us that he's probably not going to play next year because Kawhi yeah. doesn't mess around with his body, he's going to take at least a year to get healthy. He's certainly not going to come back two thirds of the way through the season to try to go to, to try to help the Clippers go on a run when he's not feeling good. So like, and I'm Dame. I'm already getting older, and I'm a small guard. Why would I go to New York to flounder for a year while I wait for Kawhi to maybe come back and? God knows Kawhi, Kawhi doesn't keep anybody in the loop. He doesn't tell you what's going on with his body or his knee. And, and dude, like I, Kawhi's such a weird guy. I wouldn't be surprised if we never see him again. I literally wouldn't be surprised if he was like, oh, I'm retiring. Both my knees are messed up. I'm sick and tired of trying to get my knees working when they both keep giving up on me. So, yeah, I'm retiring. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, it's just that seemed to. So when I heard that intel, I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. So my, my guess is, is it's going to be some either Philly or Golden State. Um, but I don't, if I'm, if I'm Portland, I'm like, I don't want Ben Simmons. <laughs> like, what, what am I going to do with Ben Simmons? You know, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. I guess Simmons could, I guess, sell seats, I guess in that arena. But I mean, I like Portland would sell out anyway. They're kind of like a one, one sport kind of city there. But like, I, I have no idea. Like, I, I feel like Dame is going to put out the teams. Like we've seen how this kind of story goes. He puts out the teams and then he kind of, there's like three teams on that list and one of them doesn't make sense. It's just how it goes to kind of throw it off. And then he gets to the team he wants. Like that's the new league. I think this will happen with Bradley Beal eventually too. Like it's just how the, the cycle um, of the universe works. I wanted to ask you about the Kawhi stuff. Cause I think that's fascinating. Um, the news that's coming out, Skip Bayless isn't really a source of, you know, high regard to me, but I uh, like <laughs> when I'm just watching, when I'm hearing like the team didn't even know that he had like the surgery, I think that stuff is just weird. That stuff is strange. Like to me, that can't even be possible, can it? Like, how can the team not know that he was having surgery? Like, that's Kawhi's been there two years. It's not like he's a stranger to these people. You know what I mean? Like, that's that kind of stuff. When those stuff come out, is really strange to me that we can release that kind of information, like that kind of intel. You know, like you don't. Is that strange to you as well, or like? It's it's strange, but it reminds me of like a, a spurned ex, like you know, w- w- like a it's, a it's it's a common thing that you'll see when you're dating. It's like the 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 girl who whose ex boyfriend cheated on her a bunch of times. Like she tends to have trust issues, right? Like she has trust issues, and she's the one that's not going to let you go have a guy's night because she's going to think you're off, you know, you know, doing God knows what. Well, th- I think that's what happened with Kawhi. I think I think he legitimately had a serious issue with the medical staff with the Spurs uh, yeah. where he, where he felt like he was wronged where he was mm-hmm. like, my knees is screwed up and these guys keep telling me my knees fine. And they keep, and now you got teammates going to the press and saying like that he's not playing when my knees hurt, you know? And I think that that screwed up his head a little bit to where he doesn't trust these teams, medical staffs at all. And mm-hmm. so I think as soon as he had the knee injury 
and the first medical opinion from the team doctor said, you're fine. And then he went and got a second opinion. And as soon as the second opinion uh, apparently revealed a partially torn ACL, I think he immediately was like, screw those guys with the Clippers. Like, they, I can't trust him, you know, because he's got, yeah. trust, he's got trust issues. And I think from there, you combine that with Kawhi's general private mentality. And, and there's, there was all sorts of intel that he had some off-the-book stuff with the Clippers anyway, where he's kind of like a kind of a guy who likes to flex his muscles and do his own thing and live in San Diego while playing for the Clippers and all this other stuff that I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, really quickly before you get out of here, um, so I, I, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on this and, and I'll really quickly lay mine out. You know, Pat Riley used to talk about this concept called the disease of more, which was oh, yeah. the idea that you could win a title with a bunch of guys playing unselfishly, but then you guys get selfish as things progress because they start to care more about self goals instead of team goals. And then things go south. And, you know, the, the famous example everybody talks about is like 2004 Kobe is like, you know, they're doing all this winning with Shaq. But then by then he gets a little selfish. He's, you know, he allegedly shot them out of the series with the Pistons and so on and so forth. That's just one example. But that's what you hear. But this is so unusual because this is the first time I can remember where the disease of more is impacting the guys who didn't even win the title. OK, like mm. <laughs> all the yeah. guys who won the title with the Lakers. You know, with uh, like guys like Alex Crusoe, guys like LeBron, guys like Anthony Davis, all these guys, they're all kind of still chugging along with the unselfish nature of it all. Meanwhile, all these new guys who weren't on the championship team, guys like Dennis Schroeder, guys like uh, Montrez Harrell, are coming out with all these comments and they're acting like they care more about their minutes and their role on the team, whether they're starting or they're like they, they care more about this stuff than, than the guys who won the title. And I've never seen anything like it. I. I tend to think that those guys need to be dispensed with because I think it hurts the culture. Uh, that's just my opinion. But I wanted to hear your two cents on it before we get you out of here. Yeah, you, you threw out Schroeder, Harrell, even Andre Drummond, right, with his comments um, were really interesting about, you know, wanting if he would have got more minutes and all that. These guys are in their mid twenties. Like uh, we keep comparing it to the twenty twenty Lakers. You know, those dudes had a bunch of dudes in the mid mid thirties. Kind of Danny Green, Dwight Howard, um, all those dudes, all those role players, really older guys who are kind of fit, who understand their role in this league. Danny Green isn't going to ask for, isn't going to try to run ball screens. You know, he's not going to be someone who he isn't. Um, Montrezl Harrell is still trying to figure out can he be a number one or number two option? You know, in this league, like what is he? You know, like and, and Dennis Schroeder, I think is still trying to figure that out too. Is he a starting point guard? He wants to be paid like one so he has to play like one he has to put up the numbers like one um and he knows he didn't do that and again you start getting these excuses kind of um trickling down and that's why to me that 2020 team is so special it's why it's special because that's rare you don't get teams that click like this also like i don't remember what Cavs team it was um i think shannon fry talked about it a lot that that team was super close i don't remember it was a 2016 team maybe that won the title Mm -hmm. but he, he talked about how close and how everyone went out together and stuff like that and i'm not saying you have to do that um to win but i'm like that's part of why LeBron does these mini camps in Las Vegas, why he does the dinners on the road, try to like build that kind of camaraderie. And uh, I don't know if the factors with COVID and all that stuff kind of impacted it, but yeah, you could tell these dudes in their mid twenties feel like they didn't get the fair shake on a lot of stuff. Um, And again, I feel like the talent would have went out, but yeah, you're right. It's interesting to hear all these things come out on a team that lost, you know, the, the players that lost the players that weren't on the team from the title team. You don't hear KCP talking like this. You don't hear, uh, Kyle Kuzma a little bit, I guess. Um, Kyle Kuzma came out with a little bit. But, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's from the mid-20 dudes who were 
who felt like they were going to kind of break open here and that didn't really happen. Which individual breakout seasons don't happen on contenders like this when they're deep. Yeah. I think this is a product of depth. And I'll do this, say this really quick, and then I'll get you out of here. You know, my team at Arizona Christian University, the last school I played, kind of had a similar thing. The year before, uh, they finished second in their conference and they made it to the national tournament and everybody came back. And they mm-hmm. had famously good chemistry like to them like they 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 talked about how great that year was and 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 how close all the guys were and how everybody bought into their roles and how and how great they were well everybody came back and they added me and they added this guy named Mateus who's a really good center uh uh who who uh, transferred from another school and we added this guard named Rodney from Texas who was a really good two-way defensive guard uh, and so all of a sudden their eight-man rotation became an 11-man rotation. And all of a sudden, like, you know, I took the starting spot of the guy who played the year before. And all of a sudden, we had guys that are 9, 10, 11 in the rotation that on any given night could have a DNP coach's decision. And it kind of became this deal where there was just a different attitude around the team because suddenly there were competing agendas. There were, well, maybe this guy should play more. Well, this guy's, uh, this guy is, 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 is taking away from my role or, or whatever it was. And it kind of, mm-hmm. it kind of, we, we were, we were a better team than the previous year's team, but it, a lot of the guys talked about how the chemistry wasn't as good and that the guys weren't as close. And, and I think that's kind of like a similar version of what happened with the Lakers is like, it's a better team on paper and injuries are what derailed them. Let's not confuse that. Yeah. But but the 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 energy around the team was a little bit different this year because there were guys that had individual goals separate from the team, and and I do think that that's something that they should monitor moving forward. Yeah, it's why repeating is hard. It's why three peats are hard. Um, things happen. You know, you get tired of people. Just it's just how life kind of works. Um, I always think about like that Warriors team, man. That team was running through teams like that. That team was absolutely destroyer of worlds, and it still just could not keep together for more than three years. Like, that's just how it happened. Things broke one way, broke another way. People said some things. Like, it's just that's how it works. So I feel like this team had a chance. I love the new blood. I think the idea was right. Throwing in new blood into um, into the team, I think, was the right decision. I think that's what they'll kind of go with this year as well. Uh, it just didn't work out, and sometimes it happens that way. But you're right. It's injuries is the reason why. It never really got the chance. I think winning kind of solves a lot of this stuff, right? Like, I feel like when you lose, this stuff kind of festers out even more. If the Lakers got to the Western Conference Finals, I, I don't think I see Montrezl Harrell talking about, you know, there's no such thing as, uh, what do you say, matchups? <laughs> there's no <Yeah>. such thing as... <laughs> <laughs> there's no such no. thing as matchups. You're, yeah, yeah, you're right, Tress. There's no such thing as matchups, like, like, like the matchups that are literally determining the championship right now. Ex- exactly, yeah. Or Dennis Schroeder, you know, coming out with... Uh, you know, talking about his contract and stuff like, like, I don't think those stuff happen on a team that wins, you know, Western conference finals. I don't think you'll see this summer. Like, I don't think you'll see Mikael Bridges be like, I should have got more shots. Honestly, we would have won in four or five. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, you know, even though he's a young guy, probably trying to make a name in his league, he gets it. They're in the finals. What are you talking about? Like if he said stuff like that, it wouldn't make sense. So Mm. that's kind of comparison I would make there. Yep, I agree with you. All right, brother. Well, let's get you to work. Um, <laughs> uh, we actually went five minutes long, so uh, that, that's my fault. But uh, no, it's good. Let's, we got a game on Saturday. My guess is we'll probably end up doing the podcast on Monday, just because Sundays yeah. are always crazy. Uh, but thank you all for listening in. I will be posting the podcast shortly. Also, for those of you who have Apple, for whatever reason, 
episode 65 just didn't get uh, updated to Apple and, and went everywhere else. I have no idea why I'm working with Apple support trying to figure it out. If you haven't heard episode 65, that one's on, it'll be on Spotify or Google Podcasts or anywhere else. And then hopefully it'll be on Apple Podcasts soon. And then I'll uplo- upload this one today. And hopefully if Apple has their stuff together, uh, we'll be in good shape. And I'll tweet out the links once they're all active. All right, everybody, have a good weekend, and we will see you later. Appreciate it, everyone.